Welcome to episode two of the Horribly Horrific Horror of Horribleness podcast, or as I'll usually call it, Horror 4H. Uh, first, let me apologize for a couple things. One being that it's been so long since the first episode. I had every intention of making one every week. And depression, anxiety, and general poor life choices on top of those have made it clear that was not happening for a bit. But hey, better late than never, right? So I'm also going to be trying out a new format. Rather than the three movie deal I was going with, uh, I was going to go with two. So I could give a more detailed riffing on each movie. That went out the window. <laughs> You'll understand why that's funny later on. When I reviewed the first and only movie for today's episode, it ended up being a lot longer than I'd originally planned, and I decided, fuck it, let's just go with one really in-depth riffing instead. So we'll see how you like uh, one movie per episode. I'd also like to apologize for the shameless corporate sponsorship I've acquired. Hey, I just enjoyed this product. It was good. Super good. I will tell all my friends and family and listeners about it. In fact... I will tell my worst enemies about it, so hopefully they will enjoy the product and love it so much that they will reevaluate my worth as a person and start to be friends with me. You could have that for your product if you wanted. See, I don't really have any corporate sponsorship. That was just my fun way of saying I could, though. Charismatic and clever. I'm a catch, ladies. And corporate sponsors. So I gave a brief intro of myself last time, so I won't bother you again with that. Instead, I'll say welcome back to my repeat listeners, all half a dozen of you. That's generous. And hello to new listeners, which I hope is more than a few. If you're a fan of Mystery Science Theater 3000, but often thought, man, I wish they'd only do crappy horror movies instead of sci-fi and action and other type of movies. And you also thought, I wish I didn't have to watch the movie to get all the jokes and the riffing. And you also thought, I'd love to hear some random guy I've never heard do the jokes instead. Lamer jokes, too, but still okay ones. And just that one random guy, instead of one guy and two robots. Well then, holy shit, you have struck gold here. Uh, while I could only ever hope to aspire to the greatness of Joel and Mike and Frank and all the other fantastic writers, actors, and so many wonderful people at the old and new Mystery Science Theater 3000, which, by the way, if you haven't watched any of the old ones or new ones, go do that now. Pause this right now and go do that first. Like... Wait, no, listen to this first and then go do that, because if you go do that one first and you come back and listen to this, you'll go, oh my god, he's terrible compared to them, and I don't want you to do that until after you've already spent time listening to me. So they helped inspire me to do this podcast in the first place. So basically, if you hate this, blame them. Don't blame me. It's not my fault. Also, holy shit, and Patton Oswalt, you are amazing. I love you to death. You're, you're, you're one of my favorites. Okay, so sit back, uh, relax and get ready to enjoy bad horror through someone else's eyes. The Chilling, 1989. The opening, you have to read, so I'll read it for you, and you're welcome. This is a story about cryogenics, also called cryonics. No, it's actually never called cryonics. The science of freezing the human body to come back to life someday in the future, which is sad because I wanted to bring it back to life in the past. The facts are true. Duh. The characters are fictional. There are cryogenic laboratories today all over the world, acting as holding facilities for individuals and families hoping to be reunited. It is said that Walt Disney, Theodore Roosevelt, and Howard Hughes, just to name a few, remain in frozen suspension somewhere in Europe. Wait, what? In Europe? Okay. Although the process has been proven successful with lower animals, it, it has, question mark? The question is, can the scientific community successfully return a frozen human to life? The answer is no, by the way, in case you were wondering. 
The story you are about to see could occur in your own community if literally every law of physics stopped applying to the world, then it could happen in your community. And what if things were to go wrong? This whole story is about what if things go wrong. That like what's the point of that question? That's the whole premise. The moral and technical dilemmas are obvious. We ask you, would God approve, or is this Satan's work? And I seriously doubt it's Satan's work. I think he's got way more on his plate than this, don't you? Like, I picture him having a solid 9 to 5 and, like, a side hustle or two. Like an Uber driver. Satan, the coolest Uber driver ever. Hey, Satan, take me downtown. I'm gonna party tonight. Okay, man, but be careful. Drink plenty of water with your booze so you don't get too dehydrated. And remember, practice safe sex. And honestly, if either of you are drinking or doing drugs, you really shouldn't have sex because enthusiastic consent is important. And alcohol and drugs can remove your or their ability to consent. Gee, thanks, Satan. I'll have fun, but responsibly. At least that's all the reading before the credits. So we're treated to a short panning across the lab where we see canisters labeled C. Chaplin, W. Disney, M. Jackson. Wait, he was actually alive when this movie was made. Weird. T. Roosevelt. So wait, is this in Europe? Because they literally just said that some of these guys are supposedly frozen in Europe somewhere. Uh, whatever. We're introduced, well, not introduced really, but we get to meet real quick a man who I will lovingly refer to as Dr. Dickhole. Dr. Dickhole is arguing prices on, wait for it, black market organs. Hearts and kidneys bring a premium. Yes, but we can get twice that price from Germany. He's legit arguing over black market organ prices. Because people who deal in black market organs likely are people you fuck with. Dr. Dickhole is also going to try to fuck with the Wu-Tang Clan later. We'll see how that goes for him. It's starring Linda Blair, because when you start off as a child actress, you end up needing jobs for coke. This is not to imply that Linda Blair has, or has ever had, a cocaine addiction. But she has a coke addiction. Caffeine's a hell of a drug. Also starring Dan Haggerty! We'll get back to that. Don't worry. Science people doing science stuff. We need lab coats, metal tools, stat! And, yeah, that's that's how the movie starts. And they are cutting into a corpse, and the noises are just, like, they're, they're squishy, squishy, slurpy, like... like I'm going to actually try to... Uh, we'll see how this goes. I'm going to try to record the actual sound from the movie and play it back for you now. So we'll see how this goes. I'm going to turn the microphone, turn up the volume. Okay, here we go. This is the, this is the cutting into corpses noises. That noise, that was the we're shoving a tube into a corpse noise. And I will have to check with a friend of mine who is going into mortuary services, but I am fairly certain that no, that is not the sound corpses make. So, hmm. So they replace the blood with cryogenic fluid, which of course is totally green. I don't know why science can't ever make a different color to eerie liquid. Why not blue? Pink? I mean, I think something... Like, bright pink going into veins would be weird as fuck and super creepy. Why always green? And not just green. Snot green. Like, it is disgusting level green. Whatever. We are treated to a short back and forth between stop cryogenics, not the most inventive protesters ever, and they're almost out of sync from the first frame, mind you. We have one guy yelling, stop cryogenics, and like halfway through his stop cryogenics, the crowd goes, stop cryogenics, and he just can't ever seem to get back and step with them, so they keep going back and forth on that. And the other, the actual back and forth, is back to uh, them cutting into the previously mentioned corpse of a wonderful lady with a big heart 
And uh, whenever they say she had a big heart, they're cutting her heart out. So it's hilarious. And they've already pumped people full of the cryogenic fluid, which they take so many pains to say over and over that it helps keep the body at a negative 300-something degrees Fahrenheit. And so here's here's the weird part, though. So they do that. They show that. they they The first thing they do is they pump these bodies full of this cryogenic fluid, and then they take out the organs. They pump it full of this cryogenic fluid, and then they take out the organs. These are the worst organ thieves in history. I am a better organ thief than these people, and I've never stolen an organ in my life, as far as I know. Whatever, though. Here we finally get to meet Mary, who is played by Linda Blair, and she acts the hell out of the script that's given to her. The terrible, terrible script that's given to her. And as far as we ever know, this is the first time that her and this Mr. Davenport character, the uh, husband of the wonderful woman with the big heart, haha, have ever met, and we see them walking down a hallway, and suddenly she's overly emotional, giving him her business card, which, by the way, why does a personal assistant have a business card? Actually, why don't we all have business cards? Does someone out there want to make me a business card? Because I'll totally, like, if you want to make me a bit, I'll take that. That'd be awesome. Free stuff. So Dr. Dickhole and Jerry, we'll get back to Jerry later, uh, have a brief scene about talking about money. And if we split the Mexican deal, that's $77,000 a piece. First off, they're selling a lot of organs, and that's all they're getting. 77000 They really are the worst organ thieves ever. But one of them says, what about Mary? Why is Mary even a concern? She's not the only other person that works in this entire building. And she's the doctor's personal assistant. That's it. Like, why would Mary know literally anything about this shit? But it's okay because, and I'm quoting Dr. Dickhole here, Mary won't say anything to anyone. Understand? Ominous, right? This, this is like the first few minutes of the movie, by the way. We cut to a six months later. It's Halloween morning. No guns over the fireplace there. None at all. And a blonde woman walks into a bathroom and says, Hun, what's this about a bank job? Yep. That's, <laughs> that's how you start a scene. Is Hun, what's this about a bank job? So, Hun, who turns out to be a guy named Joe Jr., uh, promptly says, There's no bank job. What are you talking about? Are you stupid? Are you listening to stupid people? Tony's stupid. Uh, and we get physical, verbal, and sexual abuse all in the span of like 20 seconds at like the shittiest looking motel that was built straight out of the 70s. Like, it looks more like a really crappy house than a really crappy motel, and that's saying something, so, yeah. Joe walks into the kitchen where we see Tony, who, by the way, remember, Tony's stupid, and we get this man versus man because of a woman thing going, and Tony, or Joe's like, she's mine, M-I-N-E, and because he spelled the word, that makes it true. That's how you win arguments. I'm sorry, I didn't, I don't know if you knew that, but that's, you spell the word, and then you win. So instead of getting a, you know, you don't own her, and this, like, super awesome machismo back and forth, no, we don't get that. It's super nonchalant. Tony is just, like, this dude understood how bad this movie was going to be from the very beginning, and he applied the exact right amount of not giving a fuck into it. So, you know, he says, yeah, you don't own her. She hasn't done anything for me that she hasn't done for you. She hasn't done anything for you. She hasn't done for me or anyone else. And he's, to again, nonchalant. So, of course, the appropriate reaction to this is slitting Tony's throat. So, 
Here's to the movie's only true woke character, the guy who played Tony. I'll miss you. Truly, madly, deeply. Reference. And the blonde walks in right after this, sees his corpse on the floor, and she gives my second favorite reaction to a corpse in a movie I have ever seen. Stay tuned to the end of the episode where I will tell you what my favorite one was. She sees her boyfriend has slit the throat of her other possible boyfriend, and she responds with an eye roll and ugh. Like, it's an inconvenience to her at best. Okay. Everybody decides to roll out with their shotguns. Nobody says shit that Tony isn't with them, by the way. I feel kind of robbed there. I feel like somebody should have said, is Tony going to come with us? And, you know, I don't I don't know what I was expecting, but it was too much. So they decide to rob the motel before they leave. Uh, the guy gives them all the money. It's a falling apart stack of ones and a wool sack. <laughs> the wool sack? is probably one of the more valuable things in that motel. And then the guy pulls out a gun to shoot the robber, and uh, I, it, it doesn't go well. He dies, obviously. Not the robber. The robber's fine, because the robber is one of the main care. He's not a main he, I don't know. He's not important right now. The important thing is, they killed the motel guy, and they took nothing with them when they left. That's the important takeaway here. Just guns for the bank job. Not his girlfriend. They didn't clean up the, the corpse that he left in the kitchen. They Were they planning on coming back to, like, a motel full of cops? Because someone's bound to walk into that front desk to demand more ice or that the front desk take care of the cockroach problem and go, Oh, man, this is the third time this week someone shot the front desk manager. But, nope, okay, cut to the bank job. By the way, cut to the bank job. That wasn't going to happen. Can you believe that psycho-abusive murdering guy would lie? I am shocked. So the bank job is a masterpiece of terribleness. A true monument to the stupidity that a few people with some cameras and no acting ability can manage. I don't think any of the lines are muttered with any real effort or intent. Most of the deaths that occur belong more in a bad 90s arcade game that was based on a bad 80s arcade game with just a dash of live-action video thrown in to make it feel quote-unquote real. This includes already dried tomato paste, I mean blood, on people as they're shot. There's one inept bad guy who literally from the second that he gets out of the car looks like he's either high, constipated, or hasn't been outside in a while and so the light hurts his eyes, or a combo of all three. He spends, and I was counting, 40 to 50 seconds taking the keys off the dead guard and trying to lock the door to the bank behind them. That is a 10-second tops task. 10. Takes him almost a full minute. We're treated to an old man who runs out of an office with the gun and yells while taking a knee, Okay, you bastards, freeze! And that's about how fast he says it. So he says it so fast that he actually forgets to fire his gun, and they kill him. We're treated to the getaway driver, getting away because an armored truck shows up parks behind them they're not even parked right in front of the bank by the way uh the the armored truck guys just they don't have any inkling of proper procedure apparently nobody in the 80s does uh, because they just they see a car parked there that drives away when they pull up and they run inside the bank guns drawn they had no idea there was a bank robbing. I like to believe that's just how they ran into every bank. They just run into every bank, guns drawn, to see what people would do. Because they're bored, because they're armored truck drivers. I don't know. Doesn't matter. So, we, <laughs> we see the inept guy continue to be inept by not acting or using a hostage properly. He holds it almost arm's length, 
and he looks like somebody who can't do impressions trying to do a Bobcat Goldthwait impression. I really wish I could nail it, but I just can't. So you're going to have to watch that to check it. It's pretty funny. He dies, though. So don't get too attached to an inept guy. I mean, you're gonna. It's gonna happen, because he's a lovely, lovely man. But he dies. Main bad guy eventually gets it. You know, there's some terrible dialogue. You're not gonna get away. Fuck you, copper. I mean, it wasn't quite that well written. But... He, he, of course, gets shot, but not before he does the firing his own gun in the air after being shot, and, I don't know, he was chewing on some blood capsules, and those fell out of his mouth. It doesn't matter. So, I, and I also want to add, though, here, they reloaded their fucking guns. This horrible movie got something blockbusters today forget to do. You only get so many shots before you have to shoot off to the side of the screen, okay? We all know that. We're treated to Davenport Industries, and we know that this is Davenport Industries because every single office in this movie has the name of the company on the wall, so in case you forget where you are, you can just look on the wall and you're like, oh, I'm in Davenport Industries, okay, which is good because Mr. Davenport, who owns Davenport Industries, is in his office and he would likely forget that he was in Davenport Industries or that he was Mr. Davenport, whatever. So poor Mr. Davenport, first his wife, and now his son robs a bank and suddenly I wonder how his wife died, because they don't, they haven't said yet. Natural causes? Murder? Was she on a rampage across the states in an attempt to murder two people in every state? Sadly, we don't know. Mr. Davenport heads to the hospital and is talked to by a doctor who is a wonderful doctor. He says, I just want to keep your son alive. We're going to put him by, we're going to put him on life support. And then Mr. Davenport says, well, you know, we're actually going to, we're going to freeze him. We got this planned out. He's like, that goes against the laws of nature. You literally just said you were going to use machines to keep this person alive, but cryogenics is against the law of nature. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. He goes, this cryogenic suspension makes no sense to me, even though it, it totally makes sense. And I'm a doctor, and I've never seen any scientific evidence that this is even a possibility. It is a possibility. They, they could freeze people. Like The bringing them back part, sure, they're not so great on that, but... It's not like this guy needs to be clear. It's not like he's a doctor or anything. Oh, so, yeah. So, you know, they get everything set up to have him cryogenically frozen, along with the, oh, you know, in the future, whenever we fix everything that's wrong with him, like, yeah, we'll be happy to revive your kid later on when we discover a cure for bullets. I don't know what the point of that was. So, we get another wonderful scene between Mary and Mr. Davenport. She, again, is overly caring, and he is so bland and dry and uninteresting, and it is a match made in movie heaven. You know it is. You know it is. It's like, I know your son's dying and we're going to freeze him, so... Coffee? Right? Yeah, so during the coffee talk, he kind of says, Sometimes I feel like I'm married to my work. Well, when did she start feeling the way? Oh, you know, like, when my son started murdering people and robbing banks. Especially after we found out that my wife was terminal, I felt bad. Oh, shit, she was terminal. Okay, now we know how she died. It was a disease. She wasn't a crazy serial killer, so we don't know where Joe Jr. gets it from. Damn. More weird conversation between these people. I'll get to this in a second, but he goes, Are you having problems at home, Mary? And we get, like, a not even a minute-long flashback Fla I don't like it's it's not much of a flashback because we haven't seen I don't know basically yeah my boyfriend's drunk a lot that's the problem at home which not making light of the fact that that's a problem that's a, that is a problem but again okay random business associate 
And he says, we need each other's support. I feel very concerned for you. By the way, you can't just have your characters say how they feel because that makes me feel angry. Reference. And she says, I thought of calling you many times. You know you met each other one time six months ago when this guy's wife died and now his son's dying and you're having a moment over coffee? Really? Also, his wife isn't dead. I mean, she is, but he doesn't know that. You know, they took out her organs for the black market. But he thinks she's still just almost, like, she's just mostly dead here. Like, she can be brought back eventually. That's the whole point of freezing people, is that you will eventually be reunited with them because they'll bring you back whenever they can fix whatever was gonna actually kill you. So this guy's just kind of a dirty flirt, apparently. Anyways... Back to Dr. Dickhole bargaining with black market people because, again, that's such a good idea. I recommend if you ever deal in the black market, you bargain the shit out of that. And he says of the long lines, well, that's just fine then, in a very indignant tone. Like, well, we'll just we'll just wait for someone else to, to get some young hearts and kidneys and, and you know, other people will want them. That'll be fine. Like, do you, by the way, do you still need the pituitary gland? What about the cerebellum? Spleen? Pinky toe? Big toe? What about eyelashes? We got lots of eyelashes. Fingernails? Like, they could have just gone on for a while with that. And uh, we're, we're then jumping to somewhere else in the cryogenics lab with witch decorations. Because, yeah, if you work at a cryogenics lab with corpses everywhere, you're going to get, like, a really shitty dollar store cartoonish witch that you just use a little push pin, and that's in the wall, and that's the decorations. Happy Halloween, everyone! Fuck you! We have real body parts, but we're not going to use those for fun. We're going to use those for profit. And, hey, we're treated to Jerry. Remember remember when I said earlier about Jerry? We, we see Jerry again. He's kind of a creepy janitor body acquisition guy. And Wanda, who is a model who just happens to work in a cryogenics lab. Yeah. And they're going to apparently have sex in the locker room at the lab because the lab has a locker room like a high school gym. I don't know where they got to film most of these scenes, but, God, I'd love to know because it, it's kind of funny. So Dr. Dickhole, professional cock blocker, shows up and uh, says, you, know, you can't can't be dipping your pen in the company ink. Really, Mr. Stickler for the rules? Mr. I'm haggling with people over illegal body parts? You can't dip your pen in company ink. Like, I mean, hacking people up and selling their organs on the black market, that's fine. But fucking a co-worker? Oh my god, no. What are, what, what are we, animals here? That's just wrong. So he says, you know, we got a new acquisition, and Jerry, you know what to do with something here, because we it's got a situation, there's a complication, it's got bullet holes, and you know what to do with bullet holes, don't you, Jerry? And I'm like 99.9% .9 sure that Jerry's face says, don't fuck them, don't say you fuck them, do not say that you put your dick in bullet holes. I'm, I'm super convinced that's what his face says. So we get a brief conversation between the good doctor and Mr. Davenport where we find out this totally wasn't an expected, unexpected end for Joe because his adolescence was turbulent and he was in Vietnam and that totally explains why he went on a kill-crazy rampage. Obviously, trouble adolescence, Vietnam, murderers. Yeah, that, that adds up. Totally right. So Mary knows something is up at this point because the container that Dr. Dickhole shows Mr. Davenport is not the right one. And she waits for Mr. Davenport to leave and is like, uh, doctor, that's not the right container. And he's like, yes, it is. She's like, no, it's not. And he's like, I'm going to stare angrily and correct you, and I'm not going to look suspicious while doing it. It's the right container. Yep, that's pretty much how that goes. 
Mary shows Davenport out and says something along the lines of, well, you know how to reach me, and my only thought was, right, just wait for another family member to die, and then you can go talk to her again and hit on her creepily. So now, this is when we get to meet Vince, one of the few characters in this movie that you like. He's a security guard, and he's Dan Haggerty, otherwise known as Grizzly fucking Adams. His middle name was fucking. Yeah, I didn't know that either until I watched this movie and did research to make sure I knew what Dan Haggerty had been in. And surprise, I actually, I was wrong until I looked it up. I don't know what I thought he was in, but it, it was not Grizzly Adams, but he was Grizzly Adams. So he actually does a good job in the movie. Like, I can't really make fun of his performance. He's understated, and he does what he can with, with a shitty script, honestly. He tries, and it works. He is a ray of sunshine in this movie. We're treated to some stock footage of a moon and clouds, and that's it. Nothing actually scary. But it's meant to be scary. So Mary's car doesn't work, so of course Joseph shall give her a ride home. Joseph Davenport, that is. After some pizza! The great equalizer! It might be the best thing for me, he says. Talking about the pizza after your wife and son have died within six months. And honestly, that's the only true line in the film. Because seriously, uh, you know, when my wife died, pizza right? I mean, I haven't lost a kid, but I'm assuming if you lose a kid, pizza, right? I mean, it doesn't really matter what, what happens in life. Pizza. So Vince and rookie security guard, and we get to hear uh, Vince's impersonation of John Wayne, which actually, not bad. Uh, Dan Haggerty does a pretty good John Wayne impersonation, in case you were wondering. They are listening to the weather report as it starts to storm, and the weather report as it's starting to storm is talking about the storm and how it's going to keep those trick-or-treaters indoor. Yeah, so the storm's probably nothing to worry about at all. And then the power goes out. Fried the main power panel. Well, that's a shitty power panel, honestly. But whatever. The backup power kicks on, though, and then that also goes out almost immediately. So, that's kind of weird. But whatever. Security guards end up following procedure better than the cops and the armored vehicle people earlier. Because he says, well, we're supposed to check the computer and a few other things. So they actually check the computer and, and check the circuit breaker and start trying to reset stuff. And then what does he do? Well, I'll tell you, he calls the power company. And that's actually, yeah, that's that's smart. It, good job, John Wayne, Dan Haggerty. Like, good job. Uh, he calls them up and he's like, yeah, no, I know you got a lot of complaints. Power's out. But, um, you know, we have, there are literally lives. Well, not lives. There are human bodies at stake here. Like, nice. Good job, Dan Haggerty. But then Dan Haggerty drops the ball and mutant undead weird cryo zombies pick it up and they run down the 40, the 30, the 20, the 10, and they score. Seriously, legit guys, weird mutant cryo zombies are about to happen. But why? Because he decides to take the tanks outside. Now these tanks are designed to keep the bodies at negative 300 something Fahrenheit. I, I don't know if they do because green slime has replaced all the organs because of Dr. Dick Hole, but let's assume some of them do this. And also Dan Haggerty doesn't know anything about the organ harvesting, and that is a sentence I never thought I'd have to say. But he wants to move them outside because, uh, can you think of a colder place than outside and they gotta look like they're doing something? Alright, let's break that down into two things. One will be about how temperature is misunderstood in this movie, and two will be an attack on current American management techniques. So one, can you think of any place colder than outside? Well, it's raining, not sleeting, not snowing. It's raining. It's October 31st. Clearly climate change was still going on in the 80s. And we're in Kansas City, and according to my extensive research that is the first few results of Google, average Kansas City temperatures on Halloween is around 40 to 60 degrees. 
So even if it's colder than that by a significant margin, it'd still be above freezing. So I'm going to put this in terms that inept security guard Dan Haggerty should have been able to grasp. If it's raining outside of your house and your power goes out, are you going to take all those beers out of your fridge and put them outside to keep them colder? No. You drink them all real fast because you're inept security guard Dan Haggerty living in Kansas City. But since you can't drink these because these are corpses, you leave them in the fucking fridge. Alright, and point two, he's going to ostensibly ruin sensitive equipment and possibly several human fucking corpses to, insert drum roll, I, you know, I wonder if Audacity has a drum roll, like, alright, if you hear a drum roll after this, cool, if not, enjoy the quiet reflection time to wonder, why am I wasting my life on this man's podcast? Where did I go so wrong that I'm here listening to him as if this was a useful thing in my life? Drum roll. To look busy that's it why how often do the bosses of the cryogenics lab come by at night to check on you and what because the power's out i mean you called the boss you called the power company you you reset the power breaker like legit you've already done everything you could do and you're a security guard like this isn't even your fucking job your job is to make sure kids don't break in and i don't know throw rocks at the corpses so obviously this falls into the perils of the Western management style that I'm sure many of you are intimately familiar with. I know I am. Time to lean, time to clean. That whole mentality that if your employee is not constantly exhausting themselves, they aren't working, is terrible. That somehow they're wasting your time, even though you paid them to do a job, and you having to add random shit to it because you don't like that they finished that job early and are maintaining it to the best of their abilities till something else happens isn't really fair or necessary to this. They're wasting your time. Maybe if your employee is well-rested and then when something happens, they can jump right on it instead of having to put away a bunch of cleaning supplies when work hits. Or maybe so that they can feel, you know, that they don't have to be constantly doing something so whenever something needs done, they, you know, don't make poor decisions like taking human fucking corpses out into the rain so they can appear to be busy. Okay, back to the movie. Sorry about that. They're filming the hell out of this forklift they're using, and frankly, if they don't use it to kill someone or something, I'm going to be a little hurt. Like, my feelings will be a little bit hurt by that. So, they're just a bunch of frozen stiffs, you know, at least they would be if you left them in the fucking fridge. So we've got a bunch of cryotubes, giant metal ones, outside in a parking lot in a thunderstorm, when lightning has already hit your building twice. What could go wrong? By the way, worst fucking electrician slash building planners ever. You can't put fucking lightning rods somewhere on this building? No, no, okay. By the way, whenever they get hit by lightning, they grow, they glow green. And, and they literally all get hit by lightning. Like, each one individually gets hit by lightning because apparently that's how lightning works. And now we have, that's right, mutant cryo zombies most of whom are wrapped up like bad astronauts from a 50s movie and if i thought that was intentional design i'd be impressed but it wasn't and i'm not so we get several unnecessarily long shots and later we're back at the guardhouse one of the cryo zombies plays peeping tom and rookie sees it but big dan haggerty doesn't so it's all good or is it no it's not Cryo zombies are shown breaking windows and shit in random places all around the building. Because, as we all know, the first thing a person brought back from the dead wants to do is destroy everything. I don't make the rules. I just observe them and try to make them funny. Er, then they already are. The guards do a walkthrough and find the dog that was with them completely liquidated, without a noise. What? Okay. Rookie can't manage to say, behind you, before 
Dan Haggerty turns around and notices there's a hand reaching for him, and he slams a door onto the hand, which promptly cuts it off, and goo shoots out like 20 feet. So it's kind of a bit surprising that a door can slice one of their hands off, and then they can turn around, and a small group of them can lift a massive garage door so easily without it falling down and, like, cutting them in half in the very next scene. These zombies are classic in their ability to be super strong while also being able to be run through by something with the same density as a pool noodle. The security guards use their guns on the zombies, and wait, why the fuck did they have guns? Were we that gun-happy back in the 80s, too? Jesus, these guys are security guards. Like, one of them, it's their first night on the job. And they have guns with ammo. Like, whatever. So they regroup at the guardhouse where Captain Dan Haggerty takes a bite for his rookie partner who then gets thrown out of a fucking window and beset upon by cryo zombies. And I just now realized that in Witchboard, people got thrown out of windows a lot too. Like a couple of times. And you know, I used, used to think that it was funny we had a specific word for throwing people out windows. Like, does it really happen that much? And apparently in bad horror it does. By the way, that word is defenestration, which means the act of throwing someone or something out of a window. You're welcome. I just expanded your vocabulary. And if I didn't, well then good for you, smarty pants. General Commander Dan Haggerty will avenge the rookie. I'll get you, you bastards! Like, legitimately, he cries. Well, he doesn't cry, because he's, you know, macho man Dan Haggerty. He stands over the rookie's corpse and says, I'll get you, you bastards, while sad music plays in the background while it rains around him. Like, it's fucking awesome. So we cut to thanks for the pizza, Mary, at Mary's front porch where Joseph Davenport and Mary are hugging because pizza. And I'm not even joking here. Pizza's that awesome. If someone goes to get pizza with you, you hug them and you don't let go because if you do and there's any leftover pizza, then they will go eat it for themselves and that's not okay. So here we are finally, we, we get to meet in person, not just in flashback, in person, the Alki boyfriend who's all, I know what's going on here. You hugged that guy, so you're probably fucking him. And other stupid shit, and we're saved by Vince Dan Haggerty on the phone saying something that we can't understand. Whatever. She needs to get back to the office, so Alki's gonna drive her, and she's all, no, you're too drunk to drive a tricycle, which, honestly, to be fair, have you tried to ride one of those things since puberty? Like, it's not easy. They're very tiny little bikes, and whenever you're an adult, it's kind of difficult. I mean, it'd be more difficult if you were drunk, but anyways... Random person wakes up in an office. Like, seriously, we, we haven't seen this person. We don't know what office we're in. And I'm just like, is this another security guard we don't know about? Yep, it actually is. He notices that the canisters outside are empty. Dun, dun, dun! And cryo-zombies attack him. And they sound, by the way, like people screaming. And then they just somehow try to, to like, fuse laser noises to those people screaming. Le legitimately. That's what it sounds like. It's pretty great. So, oh, he's a, he's a gate guard. We find out he's a gate guard. That makes sense, right? So now the power company guys are showing up. All right, they're going to get out of their cars before they see cryo zombies. And so they're going to like, they're going to have to open the gate themselves. And then they're going to get eaten by the cryo zombies. I see where they're going with this. Nope. No, they just, they had an entire scene where the power company guys opened a gate and then they got back in and drove through. And I tell you, if that doesn't add to the story later, like if they don't mention the gate being open, I'm going to be insulted. I will be a little hurt again, you know, like with the forklift. Same thing here. 
So, Power Company guys split up for reasons that I can't fathom, because splitting up is always a good idea when lightning has been a problem, and you're working on, you know, electrical equipment. Not gonna question that at all, nor should anyone, as sane and rational people. We should not question that. So we've got Joseph and Mary, and I wonder if they did that on purpose, you know? Like, is Jesus gonna be born at the end of this? That might actually make this movie redeemable. And they don't mention or notice the gate at all, so I am now hurt. I'm officially hurt by this movie. This movie has hurt me. And we cut back to the Alki boyfriend being an asshole to trick-or-treaters and giving them his empty beer can before stumbling out to his car. I bet he gets eaten. By the American justice system for being an irresponsible person and drunk driving. Right, boys and girls? But drinking and driving is bad, and it gets you eaten by cryo-zombies, I bet. So, oh no, one of the power guys is being unknowingly stalked through the stacks of machines and stuff. I'm sure he's not going to die at all, ever. Alki Man is talking to himself while while driving. Like, stuff you might think to yourself, but no matter how drunk you are, you aren't going to actually narrate this shit. Like, it's exactly what you'd expect if some actor was supposed to drunkenly think about the scene from Taxi Driver, and then actually got drunk, forgot his lines, drank more, passed out, woke up with a hangover, and then didn't care enough to actually read the script, and just improv his lines. That's what happened. So, oh no, the other, the other power guy is being felt up by a cryo-zombie, and you heard that right. I'm going to let that sink in for a minute. All right. Now he's noticed that it's a cryo-zombie, and he's going to be eaten because he thinks the guy's dressed up as a zombie. Halloween subplot, bitches! Though I'm not actually sure why that means he would have been fine with being felt up by a stranger. Whatever. You know, not going to kink shame. Kink shaming's wrong, kids. Cryo-zombies have been dragging people away every now and then. We'll see if that pays off later because Alki just got in the cryolab and I bet he's going to get dragged away at some point. And he also didn't mention the damn gate being open. I am hurt more. I am hurt. This is not fair. This is not okay. So he runs into Joe and Mayor and decides to go all alpha on Joe and be all like, I'm a big strong guy and you're just an old intelligent man. Like he uses intelligent as an insult like three times. And then he just takes a sucker punch to the face, which is why you don't drink and drive, kids. They stumble across literal body parts thawing on a table, poorly labeled as animal organs. No need to dwell on that at all. Mary suddenly knows what's up, because despite being with Alchemic drinks a lot, she's actually intelligent. By the way, earlier she did say that she was she wanted him gone, so kudos to her. She's like, oh man, I was stupid, the doctor was all weird about me noticing some stuff, and now this, she tells Joe, that the container he saw earlier wasn't his kid's, and that, you know, sounds like the doctor was hiding something, and then it's all, it, it clicks, and she goes... These aren't animal organs. And he goes, you lost me, Mary. What are you talking about? They're human organs. And I expected it to keep going. I prayed it would. I still don't quite follow, Mary. From people. People donated their animals' organs? No, these are the organs of the people. And then suddenly Joe turns into iced tea, and this becomes a fairly standard Law & Order SVU episode. Dun, dun. Anyways. Dr. Dickhole shows up at just the right moment to villain-splain how they're selling organs for money. <gasps> and then is promptly attacked by a cryo-zombie, which is why you don't drink and drive, kids. By the way, the doctor never said, Oh, and Mary, why was the gate open? I am fucking hurt by this. I tell you. So some cryo-zombies throwing shit around, because again, why not? Alki's running around where he got knocked out at. I'd say this doesn't make any sense, but he's still drunk. 
And he's now talking about how it's the devil's work and the end of the world. So honestly, him being lost in the same room he got knocked unconscious in makes perfect sense. And literally as I typed that onto, like, I, as I was typing, him being lost makes perfect sense because I take notes while I'm watching. He stumbles into an office where there's a sword on the wall. So now he can use that to defend himself against the cryo zombies. So the whole sense kind of just fucked right off. And that's why you don't drink and drive, kids. And Alki manages to fight off the cryo zombie that he runs into by basically not using the sword. Like, legit, he swings the sword one time, the zombie doesn't move, he still misses it by a wide margin, which is why you don't drink and drive, kids. Okay, so we're treated to some cryo zombies screaming after chasing Joe and Mary, and they sound like Fran Drescher was running for her life while sucking down helium. It is hilarious how bad these cryo zombies sound so and somehow the doctor is still alive and now he's like gathering up all his files in his office and he grabs the remaining fucking sword from his office like i wonder if he makes it home if he's gonna go to his wife and be like and you wanted me to justify spending eight hundred dollars on this authentic samurai sword <laughs> but you know he does actually manage to kill a, a cryo zombie with it and so i shit you not he takes its head off but it actually eventually gets back up, so I did just shit you. Sorry, my bad. Taking a head off a zombie, totally a good way to kill it. Taking a head off a cryo zombie, now nah, you're still fucked, doesn't matter. So, while they still haven't killed anyone with the forklift, forklift wizard Dan Haggerty still uses it to save Joseph and Mary's ass from cryo zombies, because they're on the top catwalk area, and he lifts it up, and they're all, we're gonna jump on it, it it's not important, it's just kind of cool, he used the forklift, so I'm a badass, Dan Haggerty is all, I'm gonna go be a badass, and I shit you not, Joseph could not say fast enough, I'll stay with Mary, you know, in case stuff happens, you know, stuff, and then oh shit, stuff happens, as literally cryo zombies fall through skylights at them, yes, really, and quarterback Dan Haggerty blasts through the cryo-zombie defensive line get, get to his car so he can drive them away. Yeah! He picks them up and drives 10 feet where he runs into something large and obvious that was totally in the way and he should have seen but didn't. And so now they have to get out of the car and run away. Good job, evil can evil Dan Haggerty! So they split up and run in different directions because that's smart. But Joseph and Heisman Trophy winner Dan Haggerty run into Creepy Jerry who explains the plot a second time even though it was super obvious, and Joseph, being told the plan already, is still surprised. I don't know why. But now we get the answer of why that green fluid, it's conductive to energy like lightning. So it's science. You can't kill them. You got to freeze them, right? So, you know, maybe liquid nitrogen would work. Good thing they got a lot of that lying around, because, you know, it's a cryogenics lab. They got a lot of nitrogen lying around, so, you know, sweet, fucking A. So Jerry finds, you know, he we, we got Jerry, he's walking around, he finds a head, and then he finds a hand, and then he finds a new friend, and they play and play, and Jerry gets away because suddenly hitting them in the head with a flashlight one time works. But it doesn't get away for long. Alki and Jerry end up fighting cryo zombies side by side for like a minute and a half, until the cryo zombie of Joe's kid, you know, the, the bank job guy, he has a sword now. Wait, how the f- whatever. So, oh no, Jerry got eaten. And I, I don't know if I should feel bad about that or not. I mean, not really, because it's Jerry and he fucks bullet holes. So, that's why you don't drink and drive. 
right? So Hobo with a Shotgun Dan Haggerty, reference, is going to get power to the liquid nitrogen pump because that's a thing. And oh no, cryo-zombies and uh, attaching hoses and stuff takes for fucking ever to create tension. Oh god, the tension. It's going to kill me. And then the the boredom's going to turn me into a cryo-zombie. And oh good, they finally got the power on. And it's taken a while for the pressure to build up. Thank god these zombies move very slowly. Very slowly. Mr. Freeze Dan Haggerty starts spraying liquid nitrogen at them. Liquid nitrogen, by the way, apparently looks like smoke from a smoke machine. Didn't know that. Yeah. They're not completely frozen, though. They start warming up slowly. Oh, God, they're coming after our heroes who aren't Dan Haggerty. And the doctor is still alive somehow. Oh, nope. Now he's not. Sorry. My bad. Uh, after he sees Alki pinned to a wall with the remaining sword because... <laughs> Yeah, no, I actually had to go back and double-check to make sure I didn't miss something. They don't explain it. Just fucking Alki is pinned to a goddamn wall with the sword. Okay, so cryo-zombies drag the doctor away, and we don't know why they're dragging them away, but whatever. Joe gets to see his cryo-son, and drama intensifies. Son, it's me, your father. Son, father. That was pretty much verbatim what was said, by the way. I just put more feeling into it than he did. So the best acting award goes to someone else. Joe finds another sword. What? All right, he stabs somebody, and then a Mary gets attacked by a cryo-zombie. And oh my fucking god, thank you, movie gods! Maker of dreams coming true, Dan Haggerty uses the forklift to impale a zombie, lifts it up, and then drives it around while it's screaming like a turkey gargling while it's on crack. It was awesome. Like, look, just watch the movie just for that. Go go watch this movie and go to about an hour and 19 minutes in and just watch. You are welcome. You get to watch Grizzly fucking Adams drive around with a forklift impaling a zombie. And you know what he actually drank earlier in the evening in the movie? So, kids, that is why you drink and drive. And uh, so they dragged the doctor to a cryo container and they put him in it. And they, this is the cryo zombies. You know, they, they put the doctor in the cryo chamber and then they turned it on because apparently cryo zombies know enough to know who hurt them and they know enough science to be able to create a, a you know, poetic death for him even though they've been mindless killing machines who just break shit up to now. So, okay, that's cool, whatever. We don't need continuity, fuck that. Speaking of, uh, one of them's wandering around just some random spot when lightning somehow hits at a random point inside the lab. By the way, this is not outside. This this looks like it's inside the fucking lab. Lightning just hits it. I don't know who designed this building, but they did it so poorly. So poorly. So that just causes a fire, which basically saves the whole fucking day. Like, every container catches fire. Everything's on fire. Zombies start running through the fire and get burnt. I mean, they're not going to die from that, but whatever. So, you know, at some point, zombie son kidnaps Linda Blair. Joseph fights him off. But honestly, that's not even really all that entertaining. So cops show up i don't know why because it's not like anybody called them maybe i don't know why but whatever joseph's like i'll meet you at the main police station the the main police station that's how people talk the main police station to explain the unexplainable and the cops like all right cool story bro i'm gonna check around here see if there's anything policey i can do and you know i mean hey good news uh by the way the dog uh, apparently didn't get liquidated it's fine right you want to know why you want to know how me too but i don't uh we just see dr doolittle dan haggerty walking out of the the lab with the dog in his arms and the dog's totally cool so dan haggerty saved him but as he walks out with the dog we are treated to like 
have flashbacks of almost every fucking scene that Dan Haggerty was in the movie. Like, wh- why? <laughs> what was the point? Oh, well. Joseph calls his driver from the backseat of the limo to tell them to take him to the main police station. Him and Mary being in the limo now. And then we see that the driver is... Dun, dun, dun! A cryo-zombie. No, seriously. They did that. And then even worse, they didn't just end it there. They then do the Animal House thing, where they put what happens to each character after it. Which is just ridiculous. They should have just ended it there. That would have been fine. I mean... You know, it's not like that was going to save this movie or anything. So, Mary's is Mary Joseph Sr. and gave birth to Joe Jr. Instead of, you know, what it should have been. Mary died horribly in a car crash because a cryo-zombie was driving a limo. Whatever. We get to see Vince retired to the mountains with his dog, Luke, and his bear. Get it? Because he was Grizzly fucking Adams, right? I know, they're clever. Mm -hmm. Joe bought the cryo-lab and turned it into a park. He turned it into a park? What? What kind of fucking park did he turn? This is the park where little Johnny Hammond will learn all he needs to know about crazy shit in the future. And then the good Dr. Dickhole stays frozen forever, because fuck him. And some of the zombies were never found, but thought to be in the sewer system. What? And so this is when we, we see everybody in the credits, and Joseph's son is billed as Joe Jr. Which, if you remember right, is who Mary you know, is going to give birth to Joe Jr. So my question here is, did Linda Blair give birth to him somehow? Are these cryo-chrono zombies? Was this the birth of Jesus? Was this the Joseph and Mary? We have so many unanswered questions, but we don't get any answers because that's it. That's the end of the chilling. And they never fucking mention the goddamn gate being open. I am hurt and insulted. All right, well, that was the second episode of the Horror 4-H podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to it at least half as much as I enjoyed making it. Okay, maybe a quarter. Half seems a lot to ask for new audiences, honestly. No pressure on you to enjoy it, but please enjoy it. Speaking of begging you to enjoy things, social media stuff time. First off, again, no Facebook page. I am a lazy and bad person. Sue me. Don't actually sue me. Twitter is still up and running, though, at... Horror4H. Follow me there for updates that I hardly ever do, but will try to be better about, and for random horror shit that I find neat. Also, remember to email me all your thoughts, suggestions, praises, and so on at horror4h at gmail.com. That's all lowercase. H-O-R-R-O-R, the number four, H, at gmail.com. I'm always open to hearing about what terrible movies you love or hate and what movies you want me to dig my teeth into. Also, I'm on iTunes now, so Apple stupidly let me post there, so if you listen to me on there, make sure to give me five stars or whatever it is they do so I can look good to people who decide if I'm worth monetizing. Spoiler alert, I totally am worth monetizing. I'm hilarious, loud, clever, good-looking. I mean, what else can you want out of your podcaster? What? Oh. Oh, I'm being told you should also be good at casting pods, so... Alright, that's fair, I guess. So thank you for listening. Please recommend me to your family, friends, worst enemies, best enemies, your cats, your dogs, your cats, dogs, and especially your dogs, cats. Find me on SoundCloud. SignCloud. Find me on SignCloud. Yeah, do that. Find me on SoundCloud, iTunes, Twitter, so on. Just look for the Horror 4-H and you'll find me. Hopefully you'll hear me next week. I already have the next movie picked out and have begun note-taking on it, so I think it'll be a fun one. Go enjoy more horror without me for a week. Scream or laugh your ass off, kids. Take care.